Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Today we're pleased to have on Pat Forty from Yahoo Sports. In addition to being an excellent college football columnist, Pat happens to be a, a longtime resident of Louisville, and their football team has made some waves so far this season, and uh, he and I will both be down there in Clemson this weekend. Uh, I saw you write that the Florida State game was the biggest home game in program history. Is this now, does this raise the stakes and make this Clemson game the biggest regular season game in program history? Yeah, I think so. I think you uh, step it up the line uh, from there, Stuart. It's, uh, they got the ranking now, the highest ranking they've ever had, third in the in the uh, country. Uh, so this is the, basically the, the highest ranked game they've ever played in, given Clemson's ranking. And Clemson's standing is the, Defending ACC champion, defending AC, uh, national runner-up. Uh, this is uh, the next the next step up the the ladder in the evolution of Louisville football. I would say this weekend. Pat, we've had some other, especially in recent years, guys have phenomenal Septembers. You know, Denard Robinson, and it was like he was doing things nobody had ever done. Leonard Fournette, even last year, Geno Smith. The- few years back and those guys none of them won the Heisman uh, uh so far Lamar Jackson has been the story of the season so far what what chance how how realistic is it to think that he can sustain this not just this weekend at Clemson in the roughest road environment but just for for the rest of the year that he can I know he's young and he's developing but you think we've we've, we've seen all he can do or do you think that eventually he's going to have some hiccups that's a great point that I mean there's been a lot of September Heisman's handed out that, that never got uh, awarded in December. Uh, it's a long season. A lot happens. Uh, you know, other players rise up. Those guys that got off the hot starts may stumble and fall. With Lamar Jackson, Bruce, I think uh, this will be a just absolutely vital game for him from a, from a Heisman standpoint that – if he can do it, perform the way he has, he's had what, 24 touchdowns, 25, uh, you know, I mean, tons of yardage, just tearing apart defenses and hadn't even played in a lot of fourth quarters yet. If he can do it against a Brent Venables defense that's played very well so far this year on the road with basically the ACC division title on the line. I mean, Louisville could, could just about lock it up if they win this game. They would have to lose two ACC games to not win the Atlantic, then I think it's kind of downhill from, from, from there for him. Uh, if they keep winning and the schedule would certainly set itself up for them to do so. And him for him to keep piling up big, uh, big numbers. I mean, you got, you got to follow that with Duke, North Carolina state at home at Virginia at Boston college, wake forest. I mean, that's a lot of games where you can just pile up numbers and theoretically pile up victories. And then he would get one late season possible showcase game at Houston to get people back on, uh, you know, get himself back maybe front and center. Uh, the, the chances are there. Now, can he do it? We'll see. Uh, I think he still can get better. Absolutely. As a thrower, he's improved tremendously from last year, but still he can improve. He he's, he occasionally has some accuracy issues. He can get overamped at the start of games and miss players. Um, so yes, can he can he do better from that standpoint? Yes, but but against the tougher defense, will he be able to? I don't know. And the other the other part of the equation, obviously, with the guy that runs as much as he does, can he stay healthy? 
Uh, so far, he's been simply too fast to catch and hit hard. But that isn't necessarily always going to be the case, especially against the athletes Clemson will put on the table. But he's the Heisman front runner for a very good reason. But what happens in September doesn't necessarily resonate in mid mid December when they hand out the award. You wrote something a couple weeks ago that um, really resonated about how Bobby Petrino coaching a quarterback like Lamar Jackson and the and the dual threat abilities that he has that this is the marriage that he thought he was going to have marrying his offense to Michael Vick in the NFL and then his dog uh, scandal happened and then and they never he never coached him. Um, you know, Petrino is a guy who I've always thought is one of the best offensive coaches in college football, but there's not it's not quite as easily identifiable as the Chip Kelly offense or the Art Bryles offense. What, what, in your opinion, having watched him, what makes him a great offensive coach and why is Lamar Jackson kind of putting it over the top? Uh, good question. You know, I think the best thing he does is just he finds weaknesses and game plans to exploit those weaknesses. He's an unbelievable preparation and game plan guy. He, he reminds me, and this sounds almost sacrilegious to say, if you're of a certain age, and I certainly am, you guys probably are, of Bill Walsh, where the script at the opening of the game is just about going to be unstoppable. And, you know, I mean, good luck trying to slow them down. Last week against Marshall, which was a major letdown game for them, was the first time this season that they, uh, they didn't score on their opening drive. And they have just, I mean, they have run through people in the opening quarter like hot knives through butter. I mean, it's just been unbelievable the way they go downfield. And a lot of the games, from a passing standpoint, even the Florida State game, it wasn't just, oh, there's an open player for some reason in the middle of the field. No, there's three open guys, and, and Lamar Jackson's got to choose which one. And I looked at his, uh, his efficiency ratings in the first quarter, 189. Second quarter, 202. And then they dip off in the second half when – the games are out of reach, uh, but but he's just been lights out at the beginning because I think they've given him a game plan that says, these are the guys that you're going to throw to because they're going to be open because this is the way we've got this schemed up. So Petrino, I think that's his, that's his real gift, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, I need a mobile quarterback or I need a pro-style quarterback because this is the first real dual-threat guy he's had. But when he came back and took the job, I remember talking to him and he was very excited, like the, the hurry-up-no-huddle had really just taken off while he had his year out of coaching after the motorcycle scandal and his year at Western Kentucky. And he's like, you know, I, I really kind of can't wait to work with Tempo. And I think that he's getting the chance to do that now. It took him a couple of years here to figure it out, probably, and find a comfort zone. But I think he's in it now as far as running a fast offense and running a dual-threat offense. All right, Pat. So speaking of comfort zone, I know this is a question Louisville fans probably will not like, but you know Tom Jurich, the AD there, as well as anybody in the media. And Tom Jurich clearly stuck his neck out for Bobby Petrino, and Bobby Petrino was pretty damn toxic. Uh, it's worked out extremely well. The, the, the Louisville program is in much better shape than it's ever been with stability, obviously with players. Everything seems to be going great. Uh, but there's a couple, there's one job now already open. That's LSU. Potentially Auburn could come open. Those are jobs that would seem like, like, hey, Bobby Petrino would have been interested in them a while ago. How realistic is yeah, it that he Bobby was. Petrino it says, you know, know what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and Bobby Petrino looks and goes, you know what? 
that's not me anymore. I'm not that guy. This is my home. These people have been great to me. I'm in a good situation. Don't even ask. Yeah, I think ultimately it will play out that way. Um, but you know what? You would have gone broke a long time ago if you bet on Bobby Petrino's loyalty. So it <laughs> remains to be seen until the actual, till it actually happens. But I do think that's his feeling and that's his mindset now. And the Louisville people are very confident that he's not going anywhere. Maybe, maybe they're being naive, but I think that uh, they feel like they've gotten enough signals and assurances from Petrino that, that doesn't matter what opens. Now, can he get a big old raise out of all this? Yeah. Yeah, I think certainly, especially if they're going to win the ACC, if they're going to be in the college football playoff, he's, he's going to get paid like the top names in the business. Uh, but George, as you said, he, he absolutely stuck his neck out for him, took a lot of shots, deserved a lot of shots, I thought, for bringing him back. But it's worked out. He withstood those. And Petrino hasn't done anything in his three years back to to further jeopardize his reputation. He's only gotten better as a coach. Uh, and the, the smart thing Jurich did, he gave him more money than he needed to when he brought him back, and then he gave him a raise after last year. So he's already ahead of the game in terms of rewarding him, uh, you know, and, and not just from giving him that second chance, but in terms of monetary stuff. So, yeah, and the, I mean, really the funny thing, he, he certainly he tried to get the Auburn job under covert means in 2003. He tried to get the – LSU job after denying that he that he interviewed he, he did interview uh, for the job in 2005 when Les Miles got it so that's that it's really kind of funny that it could come full circle with him maybe publicly turning down those jobs this time around well and we should note that there's you know the big change from then to now is at that time the program was in either Conference USA or the Big East um, yep. and now it's in the ACC you've got a pretty clear path to national championship Um which we're seeing this week, obviously, with this game. We should hit on the Clemson side of it. Um, I'm a little surprised. I guess I'm not entirely surprised that the game opened, that the spread opened with Clemson as about a three-point favorite, and the public has bet it up to Louisville as a two-point favorite uh, just because Louisville has been so dominant. But are we uh, are we short-shifting the, uh, the def- as you said, defending <laughs> national runner-up at, at home at night with Deshaun Watson? Maybe. I mean, I, I, it's it's a great scenario if you're Dabo Sweeney, where you could you can somehow you know be able to play the disrespect card coming off the year they had. But uh, you know, I mean, they haven't played very well so far, and you know, we've seen some teams in the recent years coming off of huge seasons and not quite be able to replicate it uh, with a lot of the same personnel. Ohio State last year struggled pretty badly most of the year. Uh, Florida State the year before as the defending champion did the same thing. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson's already come out and apologized, said basically, you know, that his head wasn't where it needed to be uh, and he needed to play better. But the, that offense with all those players, I mean, with the, with, with Gallman and three or four really good receivers and Watson just hasn't clicked. And you wonder what, if it's been an offensive line issue because Gallman's yards per carrier way down, Deshaun Watson's yards per carrier down, his accuracy is down from last year. So where, where is it going? It's probably a combination of everything, but I wonder if it starts with the offensive line. But if, you, if you're Dabo Sweeney and you've had maybe a hard time getting your players to get past the championship game last year, this offers a great opportunity because here comes a team 
that's actually ranked higher than you and is favored to beat you in your stadium. You know what this feels a little bit like as you're kind of rattling off the Clemson stuff? And then there's no quarterback uh, quandary as there was at Ohio State the year before, but just when you're you're kind of dealing with sky-high expectations, and certainly on that side of the ball they were. Or there was talk, hey, we, this may be the best offense ever. And, you know, it's because they get Mike Williams back. He didn't play. So there's a lot of things going into it. I think they're going to respond well uh, this weekend. Pat, I want to ask you before we get to a couple other games. There's a story out of out of uh, out of Big Ten country that I think is getting some traction, and it's it's you know you're a columnist as much as anything, and there's been a lot of protests that kind of have been in the aftermath of Colin Kaepernick's protest, and in Nebraska, I feel like because uh, the reaction has been so so. Uh, I don't know. Powerful, I, I guess, is the easiest way to say it. Uh, to one of the players who, who had spoke out and protested and and really heard, heard some awful things back, and there's been a lot of back and forth uh, in 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 the government in in Nebraska. Where do you think this is all headed? Yeah, boy, and then uh, it's a very interesting situation, Bruce. Uh, you know, I, I, I did say when all this first started I said it's a lot easier for an NFL quarterback in a major metropolitan city to pull this off than college kids and I think here's the proof of that that you know these are guys that still there's a a large percentage of the populace who basically feels like they're getting such a great deal just by being on on scholarship at that school and otherwise shut up and show up and play for us and I don't agree with that mentality but I think that's out there, and, and I think that it's like we, we don't want any uppity kids here, you know, messing around with our tradition and our reputation and our image in God-fearing middle America, flag-waving middle America. And, the, you know, so I think the backlash is a little bit predictable, as disappointing as it is. And, you know, you've got regents and a former mayor of Omaha saying they should have their scholarships pulled, which I think is just ridiculous. Um, you know, the, to me – these guys are doing nothing wrong. They're being American citizens and having an opinion and a voice and a stance on a very serious issue that happens to involve their racial demographic. So let's hear them out and let's discuss it and let's respect their right to express an opinion about it. This belief that, you know, you college kids are supposed to stay under our thumb, I think is, is just very objectionable. But I'll be really interested to see, yes, where does this go? Uh, we saw what happened at Missouri last year. That entire university has not recovered from it. Um, enrollment is way down. Administration turned over completely. Uh, hiring a football coach was very difficult. You had an AD that left to go to Baylor. So that tells you how bad it was at Missouri. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of repercussions that can come from these things. And I, I, am, I am hopeful as a society we will be tolerant enough to Hear, the, hear out what people have to say and what they're doing and then decide how we want to react to it as opposed to just this this knee-jerk reaction of take their scholarships and make them be quiet, you know, that sort of thing. Well, you guys are right. There's like a generational thing where, uh, you know, I mean, I think for us who cover the sport and meet the players pretty frequently, you know, it's pretty easy to see them as people. I think that for some people, for some fans or some, in this case, former mayor or whatever, board of regents guy, 
they're they they're just guys in Nebraska. You know, they're just guys in Nebraska uniforms running around. They're not, they don't really, you know, they should be thankful for what they have and and et cetera. Let me ask you guys this. Yeah. I this uh, so last week a lot of the uh, ads got together in Texas, and one of the things that I know got discussed was. With college football, the anthem is not as much of an issue as college basketball. What happens if, and this got brought up, is if there's going to be a boycott of some games, if some players get together and say, you know what, we're not raising a fist, we're not you know, kneeling, we're not playing tonight. Um, and that's, that's something that is, is a, on the table. I think it's been on the table to some, in some people's minds for a little while, but now there seems to be a lot more momentum you think that's going to happen? Well, I, wait, I don't understand. Why would they boycott the game? I mean, there are situations where I think you could see a boycott of a game. We almost saw that with Missouri football last year. But why would they boycott the game over the— To make a stronger statement. Well, I, one thing I will say, before you even brought that up, I was going to say, if you think, you know, when you ask where this is headed, football, like you said, oftentimes the teams aren't even out there. No, they aren't. That's why basketball is the concern. That's well, where some ADs have said it's yeah. more likely. And there's 15 guys, close to 100. It's going to be real ugly. Pat, you live yeah. in Kentucky. What would the reaction be if the Kentucky basketball team came out for the national anthem and the entire team kneeled? What kneeled? If it they would didn't be. Play? What if they did not play? Well, that's those are two very different things. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> if they if they kneeled, it would be a huge reverberation and a huge statement. And, you know, I, I mean, I think Calipari would be fine with it. I'm not a Calipari fan, but I, I don't think he's anti-player uh, freedom to that extent by any stretch. So that would be a huge reverberation. If they don't play, it's Armageddon. And the entire state, like, burns down. But here's why they got – You don't the, mean literally. The reason why – No, he does. He does mean literally. <laughs> Do you remember the Lexington police scanner after they won the national title game? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't – well, it would be it would be chaos. But here's what I would say: it, it's easier to envision in basketball than in football because not every game matters as much. So if you want to decide, and I I, th- I still would be very surprised to see it happen. But if you're you know if you want to tease this thing out, and you're playing Wagner at home in November, and you want to take the game and not play, hey, you know, I mean, is it really going to hurt? I don't know. I mean. If uh, if you if you've got 30 games to play that are gonna you're not gonna you know forfeiting a single game is not going to ruin your season maybe but it would be you're right though that the anthem is is much more a part of a player participation part of basketball than football so all eyes are definitely going to be on that and what statements are made and then if it goes beyond that then what happens that it's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out. With all the glory around football right now, it's almost like forgotten at this point the scandal that's going on with the Louisville basketball program, you know, under the same AD who hired Bobby Petrino. Um, we're all kind of just, you know, with these NCAA cases, you just kind of wait. There's no there's no way to predict what, when they're going to say it or what they're going to say. But what's the confidence level or lack of confidence level there that there's going to be further uh, sanctions or, or even dismissals when the NCAA finally rules on this? Yeah, it's in that you know classic NCAA underground stage where there, nobody's talking about anything. Uh, there has been kind of a widespread belief that the actual investigation is over uh, and that a notice of allegations could come very soon. You know, 
if not next week, then maybe in early October, whatever the case may be. Um, and then Louisville will know finally exactly what it's up against. Uh, you know, they, they took major self-imposing uh, sanctions to, to take a team that would have been seated in the top 16 or 20 out of the tournament voluntarily. It was as, as big a self-sanction as, as you're going to see a team generally take. Uh, they limited their scholarships. They limited their time on the road. They, so they did all those things. So the people at Louisville all say, you know, hey, we, we paid the price. No, we, we, we don't expect anything else. But how many times have, have, have schools said that and then you find out, oh, no, there's going to be more. So I, you know, I think that you could, uh, you would go bankrupt trying to predict what the NCAA does. Uh, you never know. But once, once the notice of allegation lands, I'm going to say sometime in October, uh, we'll have a much better idea where this thing is headed. Shifting off your uh, neighborhood for a minute, question. Uh, obviously, the Big 12 realignment, at one point, Louisville was a factor in, in, in moving when they were in less stable setting. Now Louisville's in good shape, but the rest of the Big 12 is kind of going, what the heck is going on here? So what do you think What do you think is actually going on with the Big 12? You think we're done and that's <laughs> it? Big 12 staying at 10 and, and that's going to be it? Or, or what's going on, especially in the state of Oklahoma? <laughs> Where David Bourne changes his mind publicly every uh, couple of weeks? Yeah. No, I mean, this thing has just been a fiasco. Uh, it's been... A fascinating fiasco. It's been good for business for those of us who talk and write about it. But I hope it goes till 2018, at least. <laughs> Just keep going back and forth. <laughs> sure. Yes, we're going to expand. No, we're not. We're going to expand. No, we're not. Um, you know, it. It's a mess. It's a complete mess. I. I said all along. I. I didn't say whether they would or would not. I just said that that adding teams isn't going to help them. I never saw a way that bringing in Houston and Cincinnati or BYU and Cincinnati or BYU and Houston is going to suddenly make that team better. And you can find whatever, you know, the, the analytics they got that can say you'll, you'll find this marginal increase or whatever. That's, that's wonderful. But I, I didn't think in tangible terms it was going to do anything that gets the big 12 anywhere other than where it already is, which is right now, basically fifth out of five power five conferences in terms of, of of clout and prestige and uh, access to the playoff and, and revenue. So I think they're, they're stuck where they are, basically. And this is something of their own creation. You know, Texas couldn't get along with people, so people wanted to leave. Uh, they turned their nose up at the Louisville program that was dying to go to the Big 12, and they could have been the 11th team in there instead of the 14th team in the SEC or in the ACC. Uh, I think they'll basically – this is a guess, but I guess that they'll ride it out till the grant of rights uh, expires, and then we're going to sit. Somebody's hitting the plunger, and the Big Twelve is blowing up, and we may finally get to the Power Four conferences everybody's been talking about for fifteen years. Yeah, it's it, whatever happens here. People seem to think it's a temporary solution. Um, I've I've heard conflicting things the last twenty four hours. I mean, there were reports about David Bourne changing his mind. Um, I think he changed his mind a while ago. I don't think that's a recent development. He, when when they came out and announced they were having a championship game, he all but said, we're also not doing conference network, and, and started to temper his comments about expansion, certainly not as as gung-ho about it as he used to be. 
Now, does that mean the whole conference? I mean, it, the whole conference doesn't necessarily abide by what David Borden thinks. So I've also heard that twelve teams, fourteen teams, it's all still on the table. They just they don't know what they're going to do, and and we don't mm-hmm. know if even if they want to do it, um, whether they would get eight out of ten schools to agree on any of the candidates that are out there, including Houston, which most people consider a no brainer, but some of the schools in the league don't want to uh, have to recruit against another Texas school. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The, the geography of the conference is is problematic. Um, and the fact that so much of the clout is centralized with Texas and Oklahoma and everybody else is just kind of scrambling to have a voice. Um, you know, it just it, – it lends itself to problems. It really does. It's just not a – it's not a very good working model, I think, for a conference. One more football thing before we get out of here, which is obviously there are two other games this week between top 10 teams and some other intriguing games as well, like Oklahoma TCU. So I'll ask each of you, other than Clemson-Louisville, which game are you most interested in this weekend? I would say Stanford-Washington. I think that's uh, it's a really good game. And I looked into trying to do both. Uh, make that easy uh, Seattle to Clemson commute didn't seem very feasible. <laughs> I wonder, other than going to Miami, I don't know that you could ask for a, like two schools much further apart than that. Yeah, and the, well, the problem is you go obviously you you can't fly into Clemson. You can't fly very close to Clemson, so you know it would be at least it'd be a direct flight to Atlanta and then a two-hour drive to Clemson. But uh, no, I I, I want to see if the the building job for, by Chris Peterson is real. You know, I mean, I think it is. I think they've made great strides there, and this is about time for the cash in. But you got to go through Stanford, obviously, in the in the Pac-12, and Stanford's played well so far. I don't think they've played great. They were they had a phenomenal drive to beat UCLA after some interesting decisions by J- David Shaw. But when the chips were down, they did what they had to do. So I, I can't wait to see that one. Yeah, that was mine too. Uh, I'm very curious. I on our uh, breaking the huddle show on Tuesday on Facebook Live, I actually said I'm picking Washington in this game, and I feel I don't say even more confident. But you know, Stanford is going to be without two starting cornerbacks, Quentin Meeks and Elijah Holder, and those are really good players. The guys who are replacing them are first making their first start. Uh, you know, if you've ever been to Washington when they've been good, that's not an easy place to play. That place can get really loud. And, yeah. you know, you're, you're talking about Stanford's quarterback. Yeah, he played. He, he had a good drive at the end of the game, but he struggled at UCLA. And the Rose Bowl's not an intimidating place. I think that uh, we're going to see, you know, Jake Browning's really good. He's very underrated. Uh, he doesn't quite have the, you know, the physical wow factor that Josh Rosen has but I think because of Josh Rosen Jake Browning same same year sophomore I think he gets overlooked and I think people will find out a lot more about him uh in a couple of nights so I'm excited to see this game not as you know to me the big one is still the game we covered before but I think this is this is going to be fascinating because I'm not sure the Pac-12 can afford any uh any team with two losses no, I agree. I'm very interested in it. I am with you, Bruce. I'm leaning toward Washington in part because of the Stanford injuries. What you don't know me is Stanford has played in, you know, for the last five years, they play in three or four of these games a year. This is kind of new for Washington. We'll see how they handle it. And I brought up Oklahoma TCU for a reason. Look, somebody's got to win the Big 12, and both those teams are have as good a shot as anybody, even though they lost uh, in non-conference play. And 
But I have no idea. I don't know who will win that game uh, because the, I guess the question with Oklahoma is, are they as bad as they looked in those two games, or was that just a matter of you know, you're playing two really good teams that are now ranked in the top five? So um, keep an eye out on that one as well. By the way, getting back to Washington, I know the players are still un, you know, unproven on that stage. We've seen Chris Peterson – you know, in some big game settings, he more than holds his own in that environment. So yeah, that's all. I'm no saying. Doubt. Well, Pat, we appreciate you coming on. You can check all his workout, obviously at Yahoo and you and Dan Wetzel have your podcast. Yep. Wetzel the 40, uh, daily podcast, uh, Monday through Friday. So there's a lot of football talk and a lot of stupidity as well. And probably a lot of, uh, celebrations this week, right? That Dan Wetzel single-handedly, cause the Marriott Corporation <laughs> to make sure to keep putting desks in their rooms. Yeah, it was we, from death to the BCS to death to the Marriott no desk movement. Got so what is his next his what now. is his next big thing going to be? Does he want Starbucks to have have like Italian food? What does he want? <laughs> <laughs> I know this of great concern to me is he is very much against craft beer. If he tries to kill off craft beer, it's going to be the end of the podcast. Cause I can't what does he it. just want? Like peels and, and, uh, and Schaefer? <laughs> what is he? What, he is wants, he that uh, much of an anti-snob? He's, he's, he's a, as, as I believe is his Twitter bio says Bush light enthusiast. And it's pitiful. Well, look, he, he's, he's, uh, he also wrote a column from the Olympics about how he basically went to subway for lunch every day for the entire Olympics. And I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I think I think Subway is is gross. Is <laughs> like you could smell and this is from a man who thinks Arby's yeah. is like his version like of In-N-Out. The out. smell of that bread when you walk in is just a, such a turnoff. But well, anyway, trust me. Given the other, some of the other alternatives in Rio, even like bad Subway wasn't that bad. No, so, I understand. I, I I went with him twice to Subway. He was very proud that he could like in Portuguese say green pepper and onion and stuff by the end, but. Uh, he was a little too proud of himself. Well, maybe he can be the new Jared for them. <laughs> <laughs> minus the, sensi- yeah, yeah. I don't think, he'll, yeah, minus that. Would his sensibilities be okay with spot, with being a, uh, a a shill for a fast food company? It would be difficult, but you know what? If they paid him enough, he could do it. Well, now we'll have to bring Dan on here next week after we talked about him for five minutes <laughs> to defend his choice of sandwiches and beer. By the way, one quick one, one last thing. I remember there was I praised a column uh, that he had done. You know, we all think he's fantastic, right? Um, and somebody tweeted back at me, Dan Wetzel sucks. And then like two minutes later, he goes, sorry, I meant Dan Wolken. Dan Wolken sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Get your Dan W straight, my golly. All right, well, I'll see you uh I'll see you actually in Atlanta uh before we hit the road to Clemson. Yep. Happy carpooling coming up. Will Thanks do. for having me, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, Pat. All right, Bruce, we'll get back to the podcast in a second, but first we want to tell you about our sponsor today, and that is Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the Audible, Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, 
helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all of this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com audible. And now it's that time when Rob Stone tells us what's next. It's the mailbag from a computer. So not literally a bag, but just mail. All right, Bruce, we got some great emails. Great emails this week. Are you ready? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, Lewis Chilton in Pasadena, California. Hi, Stuart and Bruce. Considering Florida State is one of the premier jobs in the country, why do people regularly think that Jimbo Fisher would be willing to leave for another coaching job? His name came up during the Tennessee search and now LSU. While I'm a Tennessee alum and fan, I admit that Florida State is a better job. Does Fisher not feel the kind of support at FSU that he should be getting? We never hear about the coaches of Alabama, USC, or Notre Dame looking elsewhere. Why would the head coach at Florida State? Well, we have heard about some of the uh, other coaches. We hear about Nick Saban. Will he go to the NFL? We've heard that about Brian Kelly. Uh, so, And there's really never been anybody who's been that interested in a USC coach for a while. So I think that's part but of the But looking at the NFL is one thing. He's talking about a coach of you know one of the, the premier programs possibly leaving that for another college job. Well, I think part of it in the case of LSU is because he worked there and they know there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of people who were the power brokers down there that think highly of him. The one thing that would make me say, okay, maybe you know he would be intrigued would be you can't. I think he knows you can't stay anywhere for that long. I mean, short of being Nick Saban, you know, sooner or later people get tired of you, and if it's eight years, if it's ten years at a school. Uh, maybe change is a, is a good thing. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do it. There's a there's an, another piece to this, which is, you know, he had a very public separation um, with his wife. They have young kids. I don't know how moving to LSU, how that would, you know, it doesn't seem like that would be a, a an easy an easy transition for him and his family to, to kind of balance that part of it. So, I mean, my gut is if he didn't take it last year, I'm not sure why he would why why he would jump at it this year well he didn't really have a chance to take it or not take it because the president stepped in and told them you can't fire less miles yet i think if jimbo fisher made it known that he was coming i i suspect there would have been a different different uh reaction there fair enough um yeah i think that I think there are some mild concerns there. I mean, people would be surprised. You know, you think of Florida State, Bobby Bowden, top four finishes, national championships, and you would think that they have as rabid a fan support as an Alabama or LSU. But in fact, they did not sell out uh, their stadium last season. I mean, over the course of the season. I don't, I'm sure there were individual games that were sold out. Um, you know, I remember when he first got there, he was very big on trying to turn the spring game into more of an event, more of a you know, day-long celebration like it is in the SEC, but they certainly don't get anywhere near, you know, 80,000 fans coming to the spring game. Part of that is that Florida is an enormous state, and depending on which part of Florida you live in, it's not exactly a quick drive over to Tallahassee, but um, whether he's concerned about that or not, I have no idea. Yeah. 
Uh, next question from Kaysen in Houston. I, believe, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, hey, guys, enjoy the podcast and appreciate all the effort. He obviously got, has got a long way to go. But what do you think about Baylor does if Jim Grove finds a way to win the Big 12? Even if he wins 9 or 10, do you think he gets a long look? Besides Grove, who do you see as the primary head coach candidates? Uh, I'll answer this. Okay. If, if I will start with this. I think if Jim Grobe does win the Big 12 and they go 11-1, and one, I think that would force Mac Rhodes to have to give it more thought. But I really believe that most people there feel like, you know what, they're going to they're gonna have to clean house at the end of this year and go in a different direction. Um, but it's something you know, I, I hadn't really thought about because I just assumed that they would not have a great season. But No, you, know, you thought they were going to be 6-6, six and six, right? Correct. What I did not anticipate is they are basically the only team in the Big 12 right now where you feel good about their defense. And you don't normally feel that way about Baylor, but so far so good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I don't know what the like the threshold is where, okay, below this he doesn't even get consideration. But like you just said, I mean, if you go 11-1 and one and win the Big 12, you're going to be on the short list for the playoff. Um you know, what if you go nine and three and win the Big Twelve? Maybe that's a different story. The problem is, like you said, that whole staff's gonna be gone. And so right now, he is the head coach with somebody else's staff. If you keep him as head coach, he's basically gotta hire an entirely new staff. And I don't see him you know, at that point I don't think he would continue to run the same system because it's really his predecessor's system and, and Kendall Bryles on offense is continuing it so you know now you're hiring him because he did a great job but now he's got to keep doing that great job under completely different circumstances yeah and I, I think what what Jim was really hired to do was to be the face of the program and to deal with especially you know it's very very awkward circumstances deal with the media and you know I said this on our open of our we did a Baylor game week two and the biggest cha- one of the biggest challenges he told me he's facing is kind of being very sensitive to the victims from the sexual assault scandal and how he messages things, but also to be supportive of the players he has. And he's gotten to respect, you know, so many of these kids because, you know, he heard a bunch of calls from parents going, Hey, you know, you know, my son, you know, is graduating college and does everything the right way. And he's getting vilified in this. And I think Jim Grove has, has become very, very aware of that, that dynamic and is doing his best to really manage it. Now going forward, if that, you know, if he does not go 11 and one or 12 and oh, and I think depth ultimately will come, will, will catch up to them. And, you know, yeah, their defense is playing well, but we'll see how it goes. You know, really Oklahoma state was the first team with any kind of firepower who they played. Um, my gut is a couple of names. I think you'll see, Larry Fedora, who has worked there, he's a Texas guy, very good offensive mind. I think he would be an attractive candidate. I could see Sonny Dykes, who's at Cal, obviously is Spike Dykes' son, you know, grew up in Texas, good offensive coach. I could see him also because Mac Rhodes had interviewed him, the AD had interviewed him at, at a couple of previous stops. And I, I think he's a, you know, would be interested in him and We'll see who else gets hot. I mean, to me, those are the first two names that come to mind for that job. Okay, I agree, um, especially about Sonny Dykes. Um, let's move to Nico from Los Angeles. 
Hi, Bruce and Stuart. Love the podcast and both of your work. I've been following you both for a long time, and I grew up reading your stuff at ESPN and SI. Bruce, does that make you feel old? It does. It really does. He grew up reading it. But we appreciate it. Um, I hope he's more, like, closer to 30 than, I don't know. You feel bad about that, don't you? Look, Stu, I'm old. You just look it. I think there's a difference there. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say about that, but I will say that, you know, there's there's many kind of, in terms of sports coverage, many, you know, kind of milestones along the way that make you feel old. And one of them right now is Kevin Garnett just retired. Paul Pierce just announced he's going to retire. These are guys who, well, Paul Pierce case, he played in college while I was in college. Kevin Garnett was a high school senior in Chicago when I was at Northwestern. And so not only are they retiring, but that they, the idea that they've played for 21 seasons at this point is, uh, is sobering. And now we've got fans, listeners, who grew up uh, reading us. Yeah, I'm going to make myself date myself. And I don't know how short of 40 if he's, if he's going to listen to the rest of this. Uh, I, you know, like when I was a little kid, I collected baseball cards. And um, – on the back, they would have the birth dates. And I remember at one point, Terry Poole, you even know who that is? P-U-H-L? No. no. He was, he's, I, he oh, was yes, Canadian. yes, P-U-H-L, I do. Yeah, really good. He was a pretty good hitter and played for the Astros and everything. And anyway, he was born in 1956. And I, at one point, he was like probably the youngest player either in the major leagues or of any baseball card I had. And, it, you know, I don't know how much longer I realize this, but Terry Poole's now in his 60s. So that was kind of a... Joel to me. I'll give you one more. When everybody was doing last week the stories and fun little things about well, the last time Tennessee beat Florida, you know, Facebook had barely been invented or whatnot. I thought about it in 2004, and basically when the streak started, I was in my 20s, and when it ended, I was in my 40s. Wow. Um. Okay, Nico, your questions about UCLA, and basically, is the unwelcome most underachieving program trophy going to permanently reside in westwood jim mora had stamper on the ropes at home with an incredible defensive performance only to watch ryan burns turn into joe montana and steal a game they shouldn't have won he has the most talented quarterback in recent ucla memory at his disposal but a shaky offensive line and disappearing running game are wasting that talent and meanwhile his old oc noel mazzoni is lighting up the sec and to boot all of this is coming while USC is self-destructing and is at its lowest point in quite some time. There's never been a better time to take advantage, and it feels like Morris' program has peaked and won't win the Pac-12 or see a Rose Bowl. I don't think he should be fired, but am I justified in my thinking that it's just not going to happen for Mora and UCLA at this point? It's pretty pessimistic. It is. I, You know what? I don't know what's going to turn for them. I really don't. I mean, could we say they're a year away? Uh, we, we know you've been Rosen saying that for, for five years. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking of, we know you got Rosen for another year. The running backs should all be better next year. Now they're going to lose their best offensive lineman, you know, who will go on to the NFL after this year. They'll probably lose Vanderdose will be gone. I don't know. I mean, you know, Nico's right. I mean, get USC while you can get them. They can't keep screwing that thing up, you know, forever. Uh, the, the PAC 12 South is, is pretty far down. I know Colorado is having a really nice start to this year and Utah is still good, but, and Arizona state's actually had a good start, but just the feeling of talking to coaches in the conference last year, they thought UCLA was the most talented team in the league last year. Now they did have a lot more injuries than most teams short of Notre Dame had. I think Jim Moore is a good coach. I mean, he came in and beat USC three times in a row. 
but to Nico's point, the idea that, okay, are they ever going to be the, are they going to win a championship? It's, all the championships have been going up to the Pac-12 North, and I feel like they're closer to, to Stanford right now, but I don't know. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with what he's saying. I don't know if it's ever going to get any better than it is right now. Am I, am I being pessimistic? Well, let me ask you this. Uh, as of today, who do you think is going to win the Pac-12 South? I think Utah. Utah. I don't disagree, but it's not like UCLA losing to Stanford and now they've got no hope. I mean, I feel like the team that comes out of there might have two, maybe three losses. Uh, and then once you get in the championship game, anything can happen. So I do feel like uh, – here, here's what I would say about UCLA. I found it a bit odd when, you know, when with the offensive coordinator change that he decided to go in a completely different direction because – you know, they've had their issues with the offensive line and whatnot. And by the way, that's not on Noel Mazzoni. That's on Adrian Clem, who I have no idea how he's still employed there after being implicated in that um, recruiting uh, infractions case. Um, but it's not like the offense was, you know, it wasn't LSU situation. And he decided to just completely go in the opposite direction, go pro style. Well, and I, I don't know that... that they have the personnel. Well, they have a quarterback who that suits more than anything else. And I think it, does, it, it does not that it suits him more. It's that it helps him get ready for the NFL. True. And uh, that's also, technically not I the college the coach's th- job. Well, one of the things I think we're overlooking in this piece, and Jim Moore is a, by nature a defensive guy, there's a big school of thought that if you play and practice every day that style of football, it helps your defense more than being a spread team does. And now that's not to say it can't be balanced because uh, Nico had alluded to Noel Mazzoni doing very well, and he is, and they're running the hell out of the ball right now. Now, Trevor Knight can do things in the quarterback draw game. Trevor's not anywhere near the passer Rosen is, but he is more of a dual threat guy. And so that's working. I think they have, I think they have more talent on the offensive line, maybe not at the tackles, but I, I feel at A&M. Just looking at it, though, I think this comes back to what they, what Jim Moore wanted. You know, he wants nine on seven drill at practice every day, and I think that's more conducive to the style of offense he's trying to make blend into the rest of his team. Will it work ultimately? I don't know. I wouldn't write off. I know they're two and two, and they've lost the conference game. I don't know. I guess I've written them off because I said Utah is going to win the win the division, but it's possible they could, you know, go on a roll right now. I just. I don't know. I just feel like if they haven't done it yet, why would they do it when they have a tendency to kind of stub their toe late in the year already? Yeah, and to their credit, you know, in terms of what you said about his, de- you know, playing the style of defense or playing the style of offense helps the defense. They definitely did a much better job defensively against Stanford this year than they have in the past. I mean, last year I think it was like fifty six thirty five in Palo Alto. Um, the year before, Kevin Hogan came in and and. After having a pretty rough season and shredded them in the last game, so you know they did a decent job. They contained Christian McCaffrey. He still got 130 something yards, but he didn't have like the the 40, 50 yard breakaway plays that he sometimes has. So I would say I understand his skepticism. I wouldn't write them off yet. Is that fair? Okay. Fair. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you another question. This is what I get for not reading all the way through when you send me these the night before. This is, a, this is a question I would have liked to have thought about, but I'm lazy I didn't. 
Hey, Stuart and Bruce, Auburn has eight players with the same last name, Davis. Three wide receivers, Kyle, Marcus, and Ryan. Three DBs, Carlton, Javaris, and TJ. One linebacker, Deshaun, and one running back, Stephen Davis Jr. Is this the most guys with the same name on one team? Anyhow, how good do you think Auburn can be the rest of the year? And how long does Malzahn stick with Sean White before the analysts keep doubting he'll stay with the QB? There's a reason... John Franklin III is on the bench from Dennis. All right, so I don't know that there's any way to, yeah, how do you even begin to research that? But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the most on one team this season, whether it's the most of all time, I don't know. I'm sure there's been a lot of Smiths, a lot of Davises. A lot of Johnsons. Johnson, sure. You know, and of course, who's one of the most, not even listed here, but who's one of the most recent heroes of Auburn football? Chris Davis. Chris Davis on the kick. Not only that, my buddy Chris Davis, who was once the the IBIS at Miami, is now high up in the Auburn Athletic Department. Jeez, it just keeps growing. I know. In terms of that question at the end, yeah, I think that the John Franklin the third thing has been mostly wishful thinking. You know, I if 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 he's not at this point capable of leading the offense, I'm not sure that's ever gonna happen. Sean White Who on this podcast, by the way, like Sean White? You, yes, you, you, to- you touted him. He had a good game against LSU. He, he, he's a good, he's a pretty decent player. He just not the, he's not what you think of when you think Gus Malzahn. He moves okay, but when you think of a Gus Malzahn offense, you know, you, it, never mind Cam Newton. That's the aberration. But you think of, you know, you think of a guy who could really run and be dynamic. And I just don't think Sean's really that. You know, but the difference to me with John Franklin and Nick Marshall from a couple of years ago is I think Nick Marshall was a thick dude. You know, I'm not saying he was going to run over linebackers, but John Franklin is not. John Franklin to me reminds me physically more of of Greg Ward Jr. Except Greg Ward Jr. doesn't play in the SEC every week, so he's not taking quite the level of physicality. I did prepare for this answer. I looked at their schedule, and I, that LSU win was huge because I think it could be the difference between. Six and six, which might have gotten him fired, and seven and five. I could see them going seven and five. They got Louisiana Monroe this week. Um, they've still got, and then after that, at Mississippi State. Those are both very winnable games. Um, Vanderbilt later in the season, Alabama A and M later in the season. You know, I think they can get to seven and five. I think that should be enough to save them. And if they do even better than that, then that's a nice improvement over last season. Agree. All right, I got an audible for the audible here. How about this? Because I, I am kind of intrigued by by Dennis's question here. Whoever can come up, and we will verify it, if there is a team that has eight or more players with the same last name, Stu and I will give each, you'll give a copy of Bowls, Poles, and Tattered Souls, your, your beach reading book from five years ago. Uh, nine years ago. Nine years ago. See, that's dating us again. And I will come up with, uh, what I'll, whatever book anybody wants of mine, if they want it, or if not, I'll uh, go down to Barnes and Noble and buy you a book. So, how about that? <laughs> okay, so if you can find a team with more than eight players of the same last name, as, no, even as many as, as many, many as the same last my name, is it's going to be Johnson. Then Bruce is going to go to Barnes and Noble and I don't know, buy you Sean Hannity's latest book. What can you buy him anything you want? Yeah, shouldn't we all get that since we're all partner company partners in the company? Um, let's just call them. 
Donald Trump suggested to 80 million people that they should just call Sean Hannity. So why don't we just call him? I don't know. I don't know about that. I can't, we can't even we can't even get uh, Joel Klatt to return our phone calls. How are we going to get somebody from the New York side of the company to return calls? Speaking so, of Joel Klatt, I, I saw that your show on Facebook on Tuesday had like some insane amount of viewers, like 181,000 viewers. What what is your secret? What have you guys done? Uh, I started unbuttoning my t the top button, and that just seems to be getting a new demographic. Okay, well keep that in mind because on Saturday night. For the first time this season, you, <laughs> you will be in studio with Kristen Balboni for our the Audible on Facebook Live shows. I'm hoping to be able to join you for one of them uh, that we usually do after the afternoon games before the primetime game. So in between the Michigan-Wisconsin game, for example, and the start of uh, Clemson and Louisville. I'm really looking forward to my first ever trip to Death Valley for an exciting game between those two quarterbacks. And I know you're excited to be home for a weekend. Yes, I am glad to be home for the weekend. Great weekend of games. I'm thinking that maybe there'll be weather somewhere. Perhaps Wanstat will get some food poisoning from shellfish. And I will get to take over the studio again for an hour and a half. Good luck with that. And uh, as always, if you well, first of all, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. The number just keeps growing and growing, more than we can possibly answer. But that shouldn't dissuade you because uh, uh, we know that you listening right now are going to write the best email. And as always, if you enjoy The Audible, America's fastest growing college football podcast, please subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time.